Welcome to episode 200, Painful Sex and Penetration, a clinical overview of vaginismus for mental health professionals, featuring Dr. Martha Tara Lee. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Please note that this episode discusses human sexuality, sexual behavior, and human genitalia, including descriptions about non-consensual sex. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Iriez, and today I am happy to be joined by Dr. Martha Tara Lee. She is a specialist in human sexuality, and today she's coming to talk with us about vaginismus and some of the misunderstandings about this condition and how it affects um, a portion of our population. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lee. I appreciate having you. Yes, thanks for having me. So before we dive into this topic, why don't you take a minute and tell us about yourself and your background and how sexology became one of your specializations? Um, okay, uh, so hi everyone. My name is uh, Dr. Mata Tara Lee. I'm a sex, I'm a relationship counselor and clinical sexologist. I am a born and bred Singaporean Chinese from Singapore, in Singapore. And um, I've been practicing since 2009, so next year would be 15 years. And um, I work with clients with all kinds of relationship and sexuality challenges, my passion being sexuality. And um, I got my doctorate in human sexuality from uh, US San Francisco. I came back and then I also did a master's in counseling. I have many other trainings. Um, but my passion is really supporting people around sexuality uh, I, I got into this field because uh, I was really angry about the fact that we don't talk about sex in positive ways and usually in cl- cliche, contrived, flippant ways that is really not very helpful for anybody. So I wanted to uh, hold space for people who have sexual challenges and uh, I wanted to get the training and come back and start my practice. So, so yeah, I've been doing this for coming to 15 years. Thank you for joining us. We today are going to be talking about vaginismus. And for those of our listeners who maybe have heard that term before or perhaps have never even heard it before, can you give a definition as we start our conversation today? Yes. Uh, so, so when I was doing my sexuality training, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know about all the different types and labels of the sexual dysfunction and vaginismus was the one that really stood out for me and I thought it would be such a privilege to support clients who have vaginismus and I really didn't expect it to become the number one issue that people come to me for. So it's a condition that happens when um, the vagina basically shuts down, making penetration difficult or impossible. It's uh is sometimes called involuntary spasms in the vagina, although the word spasms is so misleading and um there has been a lot of debate about whether this word spasms should even be used, but it's the involuntary contraction of the muscles around the vagina making penetration difficult or impossible. Um so for some people they have varying degrees of it. Uh some people are able to uh do digi- digital penetration, let's say uh finger. And then um, actual penetration with a penis can be more difficult. But regardless of what it is, it is, th- it is when the, the muscles around the vagina contracts. So it comes across as 
pain or discomfort or irritated. And um, this happens such as during intercourse, trying to insert a tampon or going for a gynecological exam. A lot of them uh, will just say pain. So it's really important to understand what kind of pain because there are also different kinds of pain uh, associated uh, with um, the vagina, um, such as lack of foreplay, uh, vaginal dryness, um, and then other conditions like andromedrosis, fibroids, all these things which shouldn't be confused with vaginismus. Vaginismus is at the entrance of the vagina. Thank you. And for you as a mental health professional, typically when we think of an organ, if you will, having a functional issue, we, at least in Western culture, don't give very much thought often to how our mental health is impacting that condition. Tell me how you're seeing vaginismus come to your couch. How do people talk about it with you? Are they seeking you out because they know that this is one of your specializations? How does it happen the way you speak with people? Yes, um, so it presents itself as uh, fear and anxiety around sex or vaginal penetration. Sometimes it comes across as disgust. Uh, You can think people who have more um, discomfort around uh, bodily fluids, um, association around our genitals as dirty or the discharge as dirty. So that's, uh, it's coming out as fear and anxiety. And uh, then, of course, when it comes to them uh, mentally, emotionally, it has to do with them feeling low self-esteem, um, a lot of blame, a lot of shame, and, uh, and also have been probably blamed and shamed by their partner. And because vaginismus is lead to, is linked to, um, you know, there's primary and secondary. So primary is when it has been lifelong, meaning it has been it has been that way all along, and then there's secondary, which is acquired, um, maybe because of uh, trauma from sex or trauma from, uh, let's say childbirth. So, so with people with primary secondary as uh, with primary vaginismus. What happens is that they they can feel uh, even worse because they 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 may have been uh, waiting to have penetrative sex after marriage and then feeling that they were holding out for nothing um, and their partner is frustrated with them thinking that they not uh, not fulfilling their promise meaning oh let's have sex after marriage and now not able to have sex so it's it can be really shocking for them. And it can really affect their whole um, identity, including their fear of whether the marriage can even continue, whether they will be cheated upon, whether they would be uh, divorced, whether they can even have a child uh, for, for those who want to have children. So so it's just an accumulation of so many things because then there's also the assumption that you need to be able to have vaginal penetration in order to have a child. Uh, and then the whole thing like even if I am able to have a child, let's say IVF without um, penis in vagina penetration, then what about um, the rest of the marriage? So there's so many things going on, uh, including the taboo and shame around talking about anything related to sex. So they don't know who to talk to. And uh, for people with uh, vaginas, um, a lot of a lot of them also have this sense of um, being more social people and people of community. So for them to feel that they don't know how to talk to anybody 
so the whole sense of isolation uh, will lead to a lot of things, uh, including the possibility of uh, more anxiety and even leading to depression. So I've had clients who um, struggle a lot with this because they didn't know what they had, they didn't know what can help, they didn't know what to do, and uh, it's, it's and sometimes it's a lot of times it's like they stumble upon this term and then finally everything makes sense. And then from having the term is really important because then they know who they can come to to get help as opposed to um, being avoidant or being in denial and then all these different stages that they go through. Finally finding the finding out the term and then maybe like being able to seek help from someone. Also, they, they may suspect something is up with them. So they will go for, for a gynae exam to check. And um, sometimes what the, a lot of times what the gynae says is very important. Uh, also, the, the gynecological exam can be very trauma, traumatizing for them because they are, a lot of times, my clients, they are virgins. And so for someone to penetrate them um, and not their partner uh, or husband can be really, really, um, really uh, awful. Also, there's no, there's no arousal during a gynecological exam. So, so they, they start to associate uh, the kind of pain that they experience with the kind of pain they are expected to have when they have uh, penetrative sex. So basically, a lot of it is uh, linked to the lack of sex education and uh, ignorance around sex and also our anatomy and uh, some of them asking questions around uh, where's the vagina, uh, why, 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 why is, why is, why does this have to be so difficult? And then comparing, like, why is it so easy for other people to have kids? I see all these young, young people having, um, kids out of wedlock, you know, things like that. So, so in our culture is, um, where I come from, it's very unacceptable to have, um, kids before marriage. So then for them, it's like, I've done everything right my whole life. Like, why, what, what did I do wrong? Um, things like that. Going back to primary and secondary, so primary being a lifelong experience of this contraction, when do people normally become aware of that? Is it when they've started to menstruate and perhaps using something like a tampon? Because I can imagine for many of us, there are things that our bodies do that we may think are just what bodies are supposed to do. It's like, oh, I thought that happened to everybody, but because we don't talk about it, like it seems like the kind of problem that may be existing for a while without someone realizing that there's a functional issue. Yeah. Um, so um, where I come from, a lot of people, are, 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 we don't have sex education in uh for a lot of people, uh, and also the sex education, if anyone were to have it, is very inconsistent. It's, it's not like in the US. And so what happens is that it's even more layers of ignorance. And this can be useful for mental health um, practitioners in the US to recognize that when you have um, patients who or clients who are uh, migrants, let's say from India, like it's even, it's even worse because... In Singapore, the lack of sex education is really there. But for my clients from India, it's um it's it's really really um none. It's really none. And uh, also a, a lot of cases, the 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 boys and the girls, the men and the women, they are separated, and they they some of them, and in fact a lot of them have arranged marriages. So they are expected to be pure their whole life, which includes 
um, not being encouraged to touch their genitals for fear of hurting or cutting um, um, themselves accidentally with their fingernails and things like that. So, so since they don't explore their body and definitely not internally into the vagina, um, they wouldn't even occur to them to use tampons. Uh, unlike maybe in the US where they, they have a lot more education and access to information, including what is a tampon, how to use a tampon. So yes, so in the US, maybe they are more likely to discover that they have difficulties with tampon uh, at a younger age. But for a lot of my clients, it's um, it's when they have a partner um, or in most of my cases, it's actually after they get married. So uh, th- this is when they discover so because the vagina shuts down, making penetration difficult or important, it's actually very much an involuntary thing. It's not like they're trying to control it. So a lot of people assume the physical manifestation of it is a resistance and reluctance to have penetrative sex. And their partner will be very confused, like, hey, if you trust me, if you love me, uh, and you we are comfortable with making out, then suddenly upon the, the attempt to have penetration, uh, suddenly tensing up, resisting, pushing away, uh, can be very confusing to their partner. But it's involuntary. It's a psychological f- um, fear or pain. It's actually very much linked to fear or pain. And for me, um, in my work, I have come to associate with it with the fear of the unknown as well. Meaning they do not know what to expect. They do not know what they're supposed to feel. They do not know what pain they're supposed to feel. So this is where the the education comes in so i act as some kind of like um i call it village elder because i guess back then in ancient um older times um where there are villages and then there's a village elder um people would have somebody that they can talk to to answer all their questions relating to what will sex be like the first time and um nowadays we don't have this kind of village elder so sometimes that person should be their parent or auntie but but these people may not be asked because of again the, the the discomfort around talking about sex and also maybe this person is not a trusted source so i often feel like i've become the village elder and um, not everybody can figure things out naturally or intuitively just cause we have the parts um because it's just like anything in life not everybody learns in the same way some people need more guidance and information and um and and others are maybe more experimental or more adventurous or less afraid of um pain so we shouldn't uh, project onto people um uh, like why is it you, you are so difficult uh when people mention when clients uh, come in and talk about their struggles it's really important to um listen fully and um really not make them feel worse than what they are feeling. So being sensitive about our languaging uh, is important. And when you are looking at the language that you use, for the purposes of today's conversation, we're using clinical medical terms, particularly if you're talking with somebody who has very little exposure or education around sexual health, what terms do you use? So a lot of times they can't pronounce the they can't pronounce the word vaginismus. So they will say uh and is they will they will call it vir- instead of saying vaginismus, they will say virginismus. So it it is like it's a condition that happens to virgins, which is not true. 
um, I will, I will, I will not really correct them, but I will just say the correct term um, when I speak to them. And sometimes they pick it up, sometimes they don't, and it's not, it's not a big deal. Uh, sometimes they don't feel comfortable saying the word vagina. They will just say down there, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's fine. But it's for me to realize that they need to be comfortable and for us to un- understand what each other means. So I still, I still talk about the vagina, vaginismus, and, and that also is part of the desensitization process for them to start to feel comfortable with these words, but not in a way that makes them feel bad. I don't know whether that makes sense. It does. I, I appreciate that your effort is using the words that are clinically appropriate to start taking away some of the stigma to help hopefully make it easier for the person to discuss. Um, And I can also hear how that would be relative to the individual. Maybe you come up with a different word that they're more comfortable with. Like there could be different ways to approach this depending on the person, but I, I can see the benefit of what you're suggesting. So when we're looking at we'll say primary vaginismus, where this is something that's been a long-standing concern for somebody, it sounds like it's usually coming up because of sexual interactions. At the point that they see somebody like you, there's probably a lot of shame. There's been a referral to talk with somebody like you. So it's somehow come up with a medical professional, I'm imagining, which in and of itself can be very shaming and difficult for people. But so... When we're looking at the mechanics of what's going on, if vaginismus is an involuntary muscle contraction, does this mean for someone who has, say, primary vaginismus, does this mean that even at rest when there's no penetration or threat of penetration, if you will, that there's still a muscle contraction occurring or is it directly in response to the possibility of penetration? Yeah, so when there's no attempt to penetrate, um, especially the genitals, uh, meaning touch will be fine, it's only at the point of penetration. So it's the anticipation of penetration. So when they are sitting or just going about their day, no, they are not tight, they are not tense. So it's just like trying to force feed a child um, who doesn't, who's not hungry, who doesn't want to eat. Um, um, they can still talk and laugh and sing, but... When you try to put the spoon into their mouth, their, their mouth will just tighten up. So literally, you have to coax them or maybe kind of some parents, they will bribe the kid with some of their favorite food, for instance, first or like a treat. So it's, it, vaginismus is very much like trying to penetrate when a person is not ready. And uh, a lot of times it's linked to uh, fear of pain and fear of the unknown. So there are people who say, oh, it must be because of trauma. Uh, a lot of my clients don't have trauma. Uh, they don't remember any trauma that's happened in their life. Um, a lot of them will blame their lack of sex education and uh, their cultural, their um, religious beliefs or negative beliefs around sex. Some of them are very confused and puzzled. Why this is? Because they don't feel any of that, but they, they just don't know how to do it. Uh, so vaginismus is, at least primary vaginismus in my work, is very much linked to unconsummated marriage and also first-time sex. So there's a, there's a difference between people who don't know how to have sex versus people who have a fear of sex. But 
the treatment is very, very similar. I, I use education um, because they will have their questions. And uh, as practitioners, uh, we know this. We have, we, we have seen enough cases to know what can be covered and, and we can structure it and we can plan all we want. We can have a program on it. But it's really important for it to be client-led, meaning let's just answer uh, each and every one of their questions in their own time. So when that, that, that all the things in their head that is all jumbled up starts to make more sense, then they will be more receptive to, okay, what else is there? So a lot of times, um, I don't really follow like a real like program. I will just do like an intake. I will find out what is going on. Um, uh, when they know, when they knew vaginismus happened, was happening, how they knew it, how they feel, uh, what, what were the attempts that they have tried. For instance, a lot of people will try using lubricant. A lot of people will try maybe drinking wine to be more relaxed. A lot of people will try, uh, being in a more conducive environment, like going on a holiday. And, uh, that by itself can also be pressurizing. So I try to find out what they are doing, how, what else they have tried, uh, what other professionals they have gone to, uh, and uh, whatever their attempt is, whatever their efforts, I will validate them, I will acknowledge their efforts. Um, so it's also important to try to build a bit of uh, rapport. Uh, then that's when um, I ask I, from what they are sharing, I try to glean uh, what questions they have that I probably can already begin to start to address, including... Um, uh, where's the vagina? So sometimes I will ask the question, okay, you know, you, you shared all this, 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 this. So I will do all the paraphrasing, summarization, reflection of feeling, which counselors do. Um, but I will also try to, uh, ask them, um, something along the lines of uh, this question, which is, uh, is there anything else that you think might be useful for me to know? Is there anything else that you think might be useful for me to know? So instead of me hearing, a little bit of everything which I have uh, by that time uh, as part of the intake. It's, uh, it's also important to give them an opportunity to give me any <clears throat> clues <clears throat> because what I think is important may not may not be... What, what I think is important, uh, what I don't think is important might be important to them. So I, I really need them to help me in a very, very quick amount of time fill in all the possible gla- gaps to their life. Because some of them will, will give me clues about like um, sexual trauma that did happen in their life, even though most of my clients don't. So I don't really necessarily go, have a checklist and ask them one after another. I let it be a little bit more organic and let it breathe a little bit and let it be once again like client-led. So I start with doing a history. Then um, from there, I get the questions from them and then I go into the education about what whatever it is that they need to know. So for instance, uh, like uh, a lot of my clients, they don't masturbate. They don't masturbate because they have been, you know, um, this whole like masturbation is a waste of time or um, there's no curiosity to explore their body, like of sex education. So, so some of my clients will be asking questions like how to masturbate, what is an orgasm? Why should I have an orgasm? How to get aroused? Why do I have low sex drive? A lot of them are comparing their sex drive with their partners. So I have to clear all these questions that they have um, and then um, go into how to overcome vaginismus. Uh, what I teach is a small progressive steps. So instead of trying to 
basically eat an elephant in one day, uh, letting them know that if you have a big goal and you cannot accomplish that goal, which is penis in vagina, and that's the way because in porn, that's what they do, um, then I will, I will break it down into smaller steps. Like, okay, first, that's um, you become comfortable with your body and your vagina being penetrated. And then that's also whether you feel comfortable with your partner and your partner's genitals um, before we talk about penetration. So why don't we just break this down into like, okay, there are basically like three three stages if you look at it. First, there's the me stage, then there's the stage with your partner, and then there's the penetration stage. So when we break it down into smaller steps and let them know that it's, it's more important to create small wins because if we are not winning, we are not succeeding, we are not progressing, then uh, every session just feels bad and it feels like a failure every single time. Why you want, Why would you want to continue? So I, I help them to first, um, first answer their questions, then educate them about whatever is missing. Um, then I help them to see that actually uh, break it down into smaller steps. So they may, they may say, okay, yeah, so smaller steps and then like how exactly do they do it? So depending on their level of discomfort, I will get them to do desensitization exercises, uh, not with me, but at home, uh, because I don't do touch or nudity in my work. And uh, there are also people that they can go to, maybe not immediately, but when they feel more comfortable with their body, that they can go to, like pelvic floor specialists, because I don't touch them, so I do not know the extent of how their pelvic floor muscles will spasm or tense up. I do not know um, whether it, does, it is a case of the pelvic floor being very tight. Um, because I don't see, I don't touch their genitals, so I do not know. So there's always that possibility of mentioning that to them um, and seeing how it lands with them. But I don't bring it up um, um, during the first session usually because it's just like to, trying to cover too many things at once. Um, and then I'm, I may cover like a CBT, like the way, how the way they think makes them feel, which will affect the way they act. A lot of times, they are telling themselves and running this very negative script in their head again and again. And that's not helpful. Uh, also, the comparing is not helpful. So, like, being able to see all these things coming up and acknowledge it and giving it a, a place to breathe a little bit, but also um, starting to let them uh, see what can be useful. So, because their thoughts are all jumbled together, so it's really important as much as it's client-led, to kind of unpack it in their head. So what I do during the session is I also draw and write as I'm explaining things to them on a piece of paper using a marker so it's uh, clear and big enough for them to see and um, like from, you know, across the table. And uh, also then that also acts as a handout that they can take with them as a memory pack. So they may not be able to read my handwriting fully, you know, it's a bit of a... Um, drawing and it's maybe ugly drawing but the point is um, they were looking at that drawing or writing as I was going through the session so it's, it helps them to feel that okay I, I did take away something with me and uh, these, this drawing writing uh, acts as a memory pack it supports them in their memory of, of it because for me I would have explained this like by now like at least a thousand times the process but and, and drawn it and but for them, it's new. For them, they are hearing it for the first time and they may be feeling uh, overwhelmed. So mentally, they, are, they may be there with me or trying to understand. 
Um, but because there's so many, so many things that is, is brought up and covered. So this is where the, the, the writing and the drawing uh, can be helpful for them. I appreciate your advice about that intervention, and I can see how helpful that would be for someone. Again, because this topic, number one, in many cultures, we really don't talk about those parts of our body. And we so often have shame around that. So when our shame kicks in, our memory tends to not be so hot. Um, So I can really appreciate the value in what you're saying. For our listeners that don't know much about pelvic floor treatments, for example, can you explain some of the medical interventions, dilators, things like that, that are outside of the therapy room that may be used or introduced to people who are struggling with vaginismus? Yes. So the thing is, uh, when they go for uh, vaginal examination, uh, pap smear, uh, pelvic floor specialist, none of them will involve arousal in their work. They don't let the client be aroused and then penetrate. It's going to be different from when they're doing it with their partner. So what happens with a pelvic floor specialist is they just treat the pelvic floor as a muscle, a muscle group. And um, it's really a, a lot about relax and then dilate. Um, so to me, that is that is a very uh, painful part of doing it because there are better ways of doing it because to me, arousal means that the genitals the blood will flow to the genitals. The genitals actually get stronger. So just like the penis will grow to two times its size, actually for people with vaginas, our vaginal muscles also grow to two times its size. So the area actually uh, swells up and uh, gets engorged with blood, basically. And when it's engorged with blood, it gets stronger. So that's not to say that when you try to have penetration, it'll be easier, but but at least it's it's a little bit like what uh, the analogy that I use that like the kid is a little bit more hungry. So the body is kind of saying, hmm, what's going on? The body is naturally more relaxed. So I I only recommend my clients to pelvic floor specialists because I don't do hands-on touch because I... Uh, from what I'm hearing from them, maybe uh, I I can see how they would uh, benefit from somebody actually touching them uh, in a professional context where they are they, is client led, where the client is in in the in the in the hot seat, the client is in, in charge of telling the person what to do, as opposed to sometimes they are with their partner and their partner is not so patient and their their partner is not willing to take instructions. So that's, that's very, very difficult and frustrating for them. So what pelvic floor specialists do is um, they do um, what they call trigger point therapy. So they, they assess the muscles with their fingers, uh, of course wearing gloves, and um, then they will go in and see what are the areas that are tight and then basically massage it to encourage the body to kind of understand that, hey, this area is tight, relax this part. They might uh, show the client how to use a dilator and use the dilator. But uh, again, a lot of times they do not focus on arousal. They literally think that it's just about taking something small, shoving it in, and then just making the muscles more loose and more relaxed. So that's very different from what I believe should be done. Um, but I do see benefit of um, them working with a pelvic floor specialist. So yeah, this is how uh, pelvic floor specialists work. Thank you. I think um, I know the first time that I heard about pelvic floor specialists, it made so much sense to me that that existed and that there were physical therapists that did that kind of work. And I had never heard about it before. And I was of a certain age at the time where 
I didn't know, for example, what an episiotomy was. So I didn't know about the traumas that might occur to the vaginal region, um, whether they're medical or otherwise, and then what our bodies might do in response and that there were actually professionals out there who were trained to, I mean, how I've talked about it with, with clients, I've said to say, move my finger. <laughs> and it's because they are using manual techniques to help understand what's happening in the musculature. But I think it's important for professionals who maybe have never thought about these concepts to even introduce it. It exists because it's something that we don't talk about in our culture almost at all. So I'm glad that you're talking about that piece of it. Um, you mentioned dilators. Can you explain what a dilator is and how that works? Because those are, are words that are certainly used in gynecologist's offices. Yes, yes. So uh, it's, it's good that you caught that. So basically dilators usually are cylindrical uh, uh, objects. Um, is, is, okay, so basically they come in different sizes. They are cylindrical cones. Um, there's, a, there's a little handle at the end. Uh, and they come in different sizes. So it starts from uh, something as long or as thin as the little finger and then uh, something that is the size of, say, two fingers. And then the third one could be the size of three fingers. And then the the last one or the fourth one or the fifth one could be the size of uh, somebody's, um, um, the girth of somebody's penis. So essentially, these are cylindrical cones that are used to stretch the muscles of the vagina uh, or inners, depending on whether they, this person has some other condition. Um, but essentially, uh, usually they're made of plastic or, or silicon, and uh, one would use this with a water-based lubricant if it's silicon, because a silicon lubricant can erode a silicon sex toy. So a lot of times, um, they they use this because they if they have vaginismus, then one of the common things when they look it up is okay use dilators. But a lot of places do not say how to use the dilators, and the dilators can look very scary because uh, it's more about the girth rather than the length of the dilator, meaning how long the dilator is because. The longer it is, actually, the more easy it is to hold when you're by yourself. So it can look really long, but it can also look really big. So it can be really scary for some people. And it can also look very clinical. It can look very medical. It can look like, you know, you, 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 you are, you are, you are sick, you know. So I do have clients who, um, they, they hate how the dilators look and they hate how it makes them feel. And as a result, even though they have a set, they refuse to use it. So I I think, you know, we are so diverse in the way we think and interpret something. So if they don't like something, they're not going to use it. So I, I never ever force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. And so I might suggest to them, like, maybe you can get a bullet vibrator first. And uh, that will be size number one. So you don't have to get a dilator kit, which is very expensive. It can cost between uh, US 100 to 200 sometimes. Um, some of these uh, dilators, they also have the option of vibrating. But actually, a lot of them don't vibrate. So so for them, it's, 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 it's getting something very expensive that maybe once they overcome vaginismus, they don't need any more. So this is where 
um, the option of uh, getting a small vibrator and then moving up in size can be more useful because with a vibrator, you can always choose to turn it on or off. Uh, also, the color, the material, the design, the packaging, the brand, like all these little things does make a dip, uh, uh, an aesthetic difference. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that reminder too, that it's not just about this object. And for any person who's had a vaginal exam or a vaginal ultrasound, for example, the first time a tech turns around with a vaginal ultrasound wand, I think most people go, oh my, um, because these things look really intimidating. And as you said, very medical, and you can understand how someone's body would not relax in response to that idea. Um, in your work, do you find you're primarily working with individuals or do you find you're working with couples or other partners that are invited into the session? Yes, I. Uh, if I have a client with vaginismus, I almost always encourage them to come with a partner. Uh, sometimes they don't come with a partner. They refuse to come with a partner. That's fine. I also work with them. But I find that um, because eventually they are going to have sex or they want to have sex with their partner. And so their partner needs to also have the same level of learning because a lot of times that their partner actually also doesn't have much sex education. And in fact, sometimes the partner is the problem because they are blaming and shaming the, them. And uh, so by them attending the same session and learning everything together, including what to do and how to do it, and then I'll throw in tips about how their partner can better support them. So in that case, um, it makes them feel more complete. Also, their partner is 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 a bit more removed from this issue. So then this this person can help the help to remember what was covered, and that um, they can then also have the same language and feel more empowered together. Meaning like uh, discomfort around using the word vagina or. Like any any hangups that they have, like for instance, oh, uh, you know, like using finger is dirty. Then okay, what can we do about using fingers? Maybe they can put a condom over the finger. They can wear a vinyl glove. They can uh, maybe use a finger cord. So there are different things that can be done depending on uh, what they're feeling. And also sometimes they they uh, let's say for instance uh, they want to use. They want to use a sex toy, but they are not sure what their partner thinks about it. Will they think that the sex toy is the one that is causing me to lose my virginity and you are not the one uh, uh, doing it with me? So how do they feel about it? So it's really important to kind of facilitate these kinds of things that little things that might come up. So anyway, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is I strongly encourage them to come in together. But there are cases where... Um, there's a there's a good reason why they didn't want their partner to be there. For instance, uh, they have had sexual trauma and they didn't want their partner to know about it. Uh, they want to keep it private or at least for a while more. Uh, or they they actually are not very attracted to their partner or their partner are doing things to them that feels painful and uncomfortable and they, they are still, tra- still trying to figure out how they feel. So it's also important to give them the space to feel that they can come in by themselves. But a lot of my clients who come in by themselves who have vaginismus, they are coming in because they are told or they tell themselves, this is my problem, I need to fix it. And so they don't realize that actually their their partner actually plays a very big role as well in terms of uh, using the same vocabulary vocabulary and supporting them. So I, I get this whole like independence and 
uh, you know, it's my problem. I go and solve it. But when you're in a relationship, um, the support is, is always important. So I sometimes present it, uh, in a different way. Like if they had a, they had a sex problem, would you go in with them? Would you want to support them? Would you feel that, um, if you can support them in some way, you would want to do that? So why are you not feeling that you could take that for yourself? So as you can probably start to, uh, sense, uh, it's not just vaginismus, it's also the, the relationship dynamics and the couple's communication that also needs to be probably addressed. Then there's um, the lack of sex education that also needs to be addressed, that both of them can learn together. So there are anyway so many benefits of them coming in together. Thank you. And for your work as someone who specializes in this, do you treat couples and spend time around vaginismus, sexual dysfunction. So you're basically doing couples therapy, couples counseling, and also include in talking about sex or in your work, do you only talk about the sex part? And obviously other relationship dynamics are going to play out sexually, but like, just curious about how you work. Okay. So, so for me, the, the way I do it is, is client led and it's very organic. So, so the thing is when it comes to helping someone overcome vaginismus, like I have my own like protocol and I have my own approach. So I kind of know it, but I also see them as like um, different blocks of information. Like that's one part about uh, how to explain where's the vagina. I have different ways of explaining it. I have different ways of explaining what is masturbation, different ways of explaining what is an orgasm, depending on the person and what I see that they are able to understand or not understand that I might try different ways of explaining it until they get it, uh, including using my vulva cushion or like my um, anatomy charts or like my own drawing. Uh, I, I try different ways. So... So even though they may have a relationship or communication issues and all these different issues, what I try to do is I can't possibly cover so many things in one session. So I might let them know, like, these are the things that are coming up. And um, is it okay we focus on this topic today? But I would really love for us to work on this other topic next time. Um, or let's see how much time we have. And then we'll come back and, and talk about this a little bit. So I kind of uh, go go a little bit uh, all over the place if I can uh, so that I give them a little bit of everything so that it helps things to be better. But I also, depending on what is happening, I might address the most important thing first. Like for instance, if they are very like antagonistic towards each other or I see passive aggressiveness or I see abuse going on right in front of me, I have to address that first because that is the most urgent thing for me. So depending on what it is, um, uh, it can be one thing, it can be a little bit of everything, it can be um, explaining to them we need more sessions. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I mean, like it's quite, it's quite dynamic. Yeah, but most, most clients, when their partner comes in with them, uh, the relationship is good, it's strong, and they just want to resolve this together. Thank you. When you were talking earlier about the fear of penetration or a learned fear of penetration, it reminded me of panic attacks that once you've had one, then it's so easy to get really scared that it's going to happen again because it was such a bad experience. And I know in talking to MDs about sexual dysfunction and problems like vaginismus, one of the difficulties 
is sometimes someone may say, you know, it'll be okay. Just grab some lubricant. Let's just proceed. You nod when I say that. Where do you say that? Where do you see that go wrong where we don't slow down? We just try to power through the vaginismus problem. What do you see? And obviously that can lead to a whole myriad of issues, including physical trauma to parts of the body that are not ready to be uh, handled that way. So a lot of my clients um, tell me, because I ask them what are their attempts, what they've tried and what happened uh, when they went to see a gynae, for instance. So a lot of the gynees will just say things like, just relax, just relax. Uh, uh, then uh, some of them will give numbing cream, some of them will give lubricant. Uh, in Singapore, they only give KY, um, which... Uh, in case you don't know, you all can all go and look it up. But actually, KY pulls pulls lubrication out of the vagina. So it actually causes the vagina to become more dry. And uh, so they will say things like, just relax. They they might give numbing gel. They might give water-based lubricant. They might recommend dilators. Some of them may recommend coming to see me. Uh, but a lot of times... Uh, what they say is not really uh, very helpful for somebody who really has so many other questions because they are not trained in sex education. So they they don't really know how else to help their clients, uh, their patients. So I think it's also the same for mental health practitioners. Like it's very easy to say, oh, you just need to relax or it's just in your mind. You just need to do CBT. But not everybody, not the same thing doesn't work for everybody. So having specific uh, knowledge around working clients with vaginismus is important. The ability to answer all their questions, the ab- ability to do referrals if you are not confident or comfortable is important. Um, it's really important to not trigger them uh, in a sense that now they start to associate this this problem that they have with like a big problem. Like every little thing that they they say will have a big impact on them. Meaning like when they, let's say example, uh, when they say, ah yeah, just relax, just relax. Um, then they will start to feel really useless. They will feel like, yeah, why can't I relax? So basically there's a lot of this uh, internalized blame and because they are already so scared and sensitive uh, at that moment because they're, they're feeling really vulnerable. So everything that's being said, they will just take it really hard. Um, and be and be triggered. So so yes, the body is not ready, but there are cases where the gynae will force force the 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 speculum like into the vagina, and that causes a, a shock through the body and trauma. Definitely, I had I had one uh, vaginismus, vaginismus client say her 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 gynae was extremely rough with her the first time, and um and uh, every. Before that, everything was fine. I was able to have sex for one, two years and went for the pap smear and then had a very traumatic um, pap smear because the guy he couldn't believe that, couldn't couldn't go in and say, you're not a virgin, right? You, you said you're not a virgin, right? Uh, and just like force the speculum in and then and then she developed vaginismus. So, so her whole life changed after that one gynecological exam. So, because it's, it's natural to have uh, some fear of what, what is this experience going to be but instead of being gentle and taking the person through it uh, being very rough around it actually led to the trauma 
So, so that can also happen to a lot of people who are inexperienced to have sex with someone for the first time. Um, and there's not really not much education out there, no matter how much you Google. Uh, a lot of articles about how to have sex for the first time, penetrative sex for the first time, uh, is really very cliche, like, oh, music, lighting, okay, make sure you have the loop, make sure you have the condom. But a lot of, a lot of them don't talk about, um, taking progressive steps. Uh, like, okay, first there's the arousal, then, then maybe you can try with something small, like the finger, and don't assume after one finger, go to two finger. Uh, it takes many sessions with the one finger and just kind of like, I call it like baby pool before you go to adult pool. So you, 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 I mean, as a child learning how to swim, you, you, you go to the baby pool, so you, you have less fear of drowning and then your feet can touch the bottom of the pool and you play with water, you play with water with toys. So this is kind of like, the little steps that some people need to take in order to feel that, okay, sex is not the enemy. Sex is my friend. Sex is wonderful. Sex is pleasurable. Uh, I can relax. I'm learning how to relax when my genitals are being touched. Uh, it's not scary. It's pleasurable. I think these are the things that a lot of times they just skip, you know, with, uh, with like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, now I see this. Um, I see this in the movies and now I'm, I'm, I have to do it. Yeah. So. It's really very much about honoring uh, what the body needs and uh, the process. You are passionate about using evidence-based techniques in your role as a mental health professional in the treatment and management of vaginismus. What have you found through your work to be some of the most helpful methods or interventions outside of the heavy focus, as you mentioned, on education? Yeah. So, so... At least for the clients who come to see me, the lack of education uh, leads to the fear of the unknown because they, they don't know what they don't know and uh, they really don't know anything as well. So um, education is, uh, is a big step of it. And then uh, for, for some of them, they are qu- quite disconnected from their body. Um, meaning they don't, they don't trust their intuition. They have been told all their lives to be in their head. Don't be stupid. Use your brain. Be logical. So it's almost like they are cut off from their body and pleasure. So being able to explain, uh, simply, like there's a mind-body connection, like learning how to trust your body, listen to your body, including things like asking your body, dropping a question into your body, like what do I need? How do I feel? Or what do I, I feel like eating today? Like these are small practices that can help them to start to understand that it's not just the mind that works, you know, our emotions and also our body tells us things. Um, so learning to listen to the body. So besides, um, education and, uh, small little assignments, um, maybe even teaching them how to relax, for instance, using progressive muscle relaxation or uh, what I call the heart-valva connection. So connecting one hand over the heart, one hand over the genitals, and just like cupping the genitals uh, can bring up discomfort for people who are not used to touching themselves. Um, being gentle with themselves, talking to them, their body. Like all these are somatic exercises. Um, so, um, also, so yes, I use education, I use CBT, I recommend pelvic floor specialists if needed. Then I also um, um, break down exercises so that uh, desensitization exercises so that they can help relax and control the pelvic floor muscles. So I often say in order for them to even be willing to try things, 
knowing how scared they are, it's really important to understand, um, I call it safety and control. When you feel safe and you feel more in control, then you are willing to try a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, and uh, so breaking it down into smaller steps. So let's say, for instance, they tense up the moment a finger is at the entrance of the vagina. So maybe just start to train themselves to not feel scared when there's a finger at the entrance of a vagina, knowing that you already have the agreement that the finger will not go in. So just training those muscles, the, 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 the mind needs to register that I'm safe. So the self-talk that needs to happen in order to really relax in anticip- because it's in anticipation of, but if there was agreement that there is no penetration, just touching the entrance, just touching, just touching. So the repetition is important. And then, then trying to relax those muscles and then like seeing how much of the finger can go in when I just don't tighten my vaginal muscles. So small steps. First touching, then uh, entering, but at the entrance only, a little bit like just knocking at the door. Then after that, through uh, arouse and insert, arouse and insert. So then slowly trying to get the, the finger in. So so all the foreplay, all the like sex toy externally, let's say on the clit, uh, can be helpful, but also doing it at their own timing. So things like that, I, I, I basically teach the, the, the desensitization. Also, a lot of people, they, 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 they get scared and then they just want to stop. But, but, um, in order to get used to something, you can't, you can't just have one session and then just try it one time and then stop. So you actually need to know that, okay, so this is the safety I've created and now I, I want to unprogram myself from the instinctive reaction that I have. So I need to try it uh, two, three times, get a hang of it, and this is the small goal. And then the next session, okay, let's face this fear again, but let's just try to do a little bit more, a little bit more. So um, so I, I do have my own... um approach where I get clients to go from um, slowly one fing- one finger, two fingers, then three fingers, um, but also doesn't necessarily have to be fingers. It can be with dilators, it can be with sex toys. As you were talking about that, I was really appreciating a major focus on what I'm going to call thoughtful consent. So t- going back to put a hand on your heart, a hand on your genitals, and just stay there for a minute. What's coming up for you? Sending a question. I really appreciate those ideas because I'm sure for many of our listeners, and it's certainly true for me, those were not things (laughs) that I was ever encouraged to do for my body. And that's coming from my cultural conditioning and and my background. And so I, you know, I can only say what it is for me, but when we realize that the idea of consent is much more complicated than just, I said, yes, we're going to have sexual penetration and intercourse, that that getting down to this problem is really slowing things down, getting back in touch with self, or maybe starting to be in touch with self when we haven't done that yet. It sounds like to me, you're also working with a client on patience, letting them know what to expect. Yes, I, I think we are often very impatient with ourselves because through our life, people have been impatient with us. And then we achieve by being impatient and just sucking things up and just getting going. And But sex is not something that just involves the mind. Sex involves the body as well. And for people who haven't listened to their body, they don't understand what it means to be gentle with themselves. So like teaching them, okay, um, 
um, dropping the question into the body and say, body, uh, how do you feel? Body, what do you feel like eating? Uh, body, um, uh, what will make you feel more comfortable? What will make you feel more relaxed? So I'm actually teaching them to be gentle with themselves, which, which sometimes is very alien um, because we have only known how to be harsh and rough with ourselves. So if, if, if they already have the fear, it doesn't help to blame or shame themselves. It really helps one to know that they are in control, that they can take small steps, and it, it's not as scary as they think. So I would, uh, I would teach them, I would draw it out, and um, then it all sounds like, oh, there are so many steps. But actually when they follow it, and it has happened many times, uh, my clients would say, oh, actually it wasn't as hard as I thought. Actually it was quite easy. Um, actually it was, uh, it's actually better. So many years ago, uh, I came across this research. This person uh, was burned or something, and he needed to remove his bandages every day uh, as a burn victim. Otherwise, the bandages will get infected. So they did an experiment, a study, where they just rip open, remove. You no, know, they just rip the bandages off this person's um, or they just did it slowly. And they actually measured the pain. And um, the slow method, of course, was less painful even though it took more time so with my vaginism's clients it's like this they think they they have a fear so they just want to get over and done with but they don't realize that they actually cannot do that because it's actually even more painful so what i'm suggesting is they keep facing that that threshold and then it actually shifts so basically in a nutshell it is uh, exposure therapy you can call it desensitization but if you're already scared, there's no point to scare yourself even further. <laughs> Thank you for that example. Um, that example was very helpful even just for me listening to you speak about it to understand here's why we're doing this. And again, I'm imagining you in session with a person or with a number of people and simply your way of being is inviting them into a sense of normalcy. We can talk about these things. I imagine if you don't have devices there to show people and talk about with them, I'm imagining you pulling up your computer and saying, yeah, here's an example. You go to this place online or there's a store over there on 62nd Street. Um, or saying, bring those things in. Let's talk about them. Let's touch them. How does that texture feel for you? And I think even just that is a huge step forward that probably in and of itself is a powerful intervention to just normalize. Yes. I, I think sometimes, um, you know, they, they some of them have sex toys and then they say, oh, I have sex toy. I try it. Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't go in. So I want to know what sex toy, how does it look? Uh, because sometimes they describe it and I, I really need to see it. I really need to know, know it because a lot of times they get sex toys, but the sex toys were bought for them by their partner and it's the size of the penis. Then of course, you, you can't even insert the bullet vibrator. You want to use something that's so big and also it's, it's gifted to them. So it wasn't their choice. They didn't choose it. So having these kinds of dialogue with them helps them to feel, oh yeah, they didn't think about these things or yeah, this is important to me. Oh yeah, maybe I, I should get it for myself or yeah, maybe, um, uh, I could get this instead. It would be, it would be more helpful. So little things like that, um, matters to them. There's so much more that we could talk about on this topic. I mean, that's why folks like you exist that have specializations in it for our listeners who have enjoyed hearing from you and want to learn more about your work, Dr. Lee, please tell them how to do that. Oh, 
Thank you very much. So uh, you can go to my website, that's eroscoaching.com. And from there, that's all these uh, social media links. I actually have 1,500 videos on YouTube. And um, I, I, spend, I spend a lot of time trying to at least explain the basics of sex. And I have a lot of videos with this um, channel, actually, called She The People TV. Uh, so She The People TV is a feminist channel um, in India by Indians, run by Indian women. And um, they really believe in empowering women from India. And because I work with a lot of clients from India and I'm Asian, so I'm extremely passionate about um, putting out free resources to support them. So the whole series um, of videos that I've done with She The People TV, I think will be a very, very good entry for anybody who is inhibited, who has all these commonly asked questions uh, around sex and sexuality. So yes, yeah, so do um, do check out my work and check out those videos, um, especially if you have like a, a client um, from Asia. Like I think they would, they would feel so much more comfortable seeing an Asian face explaining all these things. Because uh, this is why I, I, I'm so passionate about doing, doing my work and, and putting out all this content. Because uh, growing up, I never saw anybody like me talking about sex positively. And there are so many sex educators, uh, amazing sex educators, but how many of them really look like me? So I understand that that is important and that is the reason why I keep doing what I do. Thank you, Martha. You've given us some wonderful resources. And I think videos not only for clinicians to watch but also for clients could be really helpful again to help take away some of the shame and the stigma of seeing somebody talk about these things hold up certain objects to take away that automatic response they might have thank you for your work um, i really appreciate the compassion that you bring to this and i'm delighted to have spent this hour with you we particularly in western culture when it comes to women um, and any person with a vagina and sexual health, we can do better. And I appreciate clinicians like you who are trying to affect that and change the conversation, even start the conversation, I think is really meaningful. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. Yeah, I really like the, the podcast. I have actually listened to many episodes, I would say close to 10. Yeah. So it's really good work. It's really good work. And also you ask some really good questions. So I really appreciate you as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lee. I really appreciate it. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.